This morning as uh, we get started off, I'm going to invite some people to join me up here. Um, these are our apprentices. So just if you're an apprentice, come on up here and I'll introduce you guys to these guys. These are high school age students that are uh, giving up their summer to work for pennies um, in our church building with various different ministers uh, to, uh, to learn what it's like to do ministry on a week-in, week-out basis, a day-in, day-out basis. This is one of the ways in which we have decided to equip and empower our young people. The beauty of this is, is as they get more and more connected with ministries outside of youth ministry, they're more apt to stay involved and plugged into the local church, wherever they end up going. Maddie Burnett, raise your hand, you can say hi. Mackenzie, Ariana, Jack, Jace, Grace Ann, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Macy and Caleb uh, are apprenticing for different ministries this summer, some Hispanic worship, youth, uh, and children's ministry. And uh, I want you guys, we're going to say a prayer of blessing over them. Uh, this is their first week. They get started today. And uh, they're going to be running up until August uh, doing various different things. Uh, some of them, this is their second and or any of y'all, is this your third? This is third. A couple, of them, a couple of our graduates over there, this is their, this is their third. So I'm going to pray over them, and then we're going to get going this morning. Father God, as we start our summer off, Father, we pray for each of these students. That they have the opportunity to utilize the gifts you've blessed them with. That they have the courage, Father, to go and use the gifts you've blessed them with. Father, that because of their work, that the young they serve and the old they serve will be encouraged, Father, to work uh, in your kingdom. Father, may their hearts stay soft and may their skin be tough. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Last week, um, I talked to you guys about the difference between being equipped and just being educated. Talked about how to test whether you're being equipped or you're being educated, right? We said that if you're being educated, then you should be able to just pass a simple test at the end. You've recited the information, you know the information, right? But if you're being equipped, then when you're, when you're done being equipped, you should be capable of equipping others of whatever thing you've learned. You should be able to be able to do the action that you've been equipped to do, and then equip others to do that action as well. That is the sign that it has made the loop, right? And if we were to look at the Bible, at Jesus Christ, at Paul, at many of the different apostles, what we would discover is that very case right there. Today, we're going to talk about empowerment. And, you know, my family situation growing up wasn't always the best, um, in fact, I discovered that it, uh, when I was 18 years old, I discovered my girlfriend actually told me that when I was a young kid, my dad had accidentally fed me a pot brownie. And I had been telling people my whole life I'd never use weed. What's it like at age 18 to find that out? I'll tell you what it was like. It was a little bit kind of a, what? Surely you're wrong about that. And I went to my mom and she said, no. Your dad made them, and I accidentally fed you one. It was, it was bad. And I began to reflect back and start asking some questions about my childhood and some of the things that I had never really thought through began to become kind of clear now that I had adult eyes to look at them, right? You ever go back and watch an old movie? And you think, oh, it's a great movie. I remember showing The Green Mile to my youth group one time. 
If you've never seen The Green Mile, it's a great movie. The problem with that great movie, it's his rated R, and there's a whole lot of cussing in it. And you don't hear the cussing when you're a kid sometimes because it's not just part of your lingo. You do, but you don't always catch it. But when you're a youth minister listening and hearing words, you begin to panic. Now, the good thing for me was I didn't initiate that. A mom in the youth group did, so she got in trouble. I didn't. But I, I was like, yeah, it's a great movie. It's got a great storyline. It's spiritual. It's got a lot of F-bombs in it. It's just not, not the thing that, that, that you really want to be showing high school students. But there are some good things about my childhood. And one, uh, <laughs> one is kind of interesting. And I, I kind of want to start our, our lesson today with this one. When I, was, when, I was a, when I was about eight years old, I always wanted to mow the lawn. You know, if you're, if you're a young boy, that's one of those things that when you see your dad doing that, um, that you just want to do it. You want to show your dad you're capable, right? And so I had learned by that age how to push mow. I'd learned how to use a little riding mower. But my dad, my dad would always get my grandma's tractor from down the road, and he'd bring it down, had a big shredder on it, and he would bring it down, and, uh, and I would ride on it with him. I'd sit on the wheel well of the tractor, Right, and, and we would go mow the fields, and, and my dad would, would point things out to me. He was like, see that pipe over there? If we hit that pipe, it'll mess up the shredder or it'll pop the tire. See this fence over here? We can't get too close to it. If we get too close to it, then it'll damage this or it'll do that. Um, when we get over here to this spot and we have to cross the road, we have to lift the shredder up a little bit so we don't hit the rocks and throw rocks everywhere. And we would drive around, and I would sit there with him and mow, and it was super boring. A little bit later on in my life, my dad lost his job, and he ended up doing mowing for a while, and he would go out to these giant fields with what's called a batwing shredder. I'm not going to show you one of those, but it's huge. And I would go right along with him and shoot at birds and different animals. Uh, it was kind of a fun thing to do. But, but, but when I was nine, I, I'll never forget this. Um, my dad went down to my grandma's house and got the tractor, and he came back down. I said, Dad, can I ride it with you? He goes, no, not today. I want you to stand over there. So I stood over, kind of watched him, and Went all the way around the perimeter of the property. And then he pulled back up and he stopped. He said, come here. And he puts me on this tractor. I've actually got a picture of it up here. Puts me on this tractor. This is the actual tractor. Not the same shredder because I pretty much destroyed that one. And you'll know why in a minute. Uh, But he put me on the tractor. And he set the gears on the tractor. It's a double set of gears. You've got highs and lows and then you've got your gears. And he set all the gears. And he told me, he said, okay, here's where your PTO is, and here's how you adjust the shredder height and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I've created the pattern for you. Follow the pattern. And at age nine, he released the clutch, jumped off the tractor, and off I went. Anybody here got a nine-year-old besides me? You want to let your nine-year-old jump on a on a tractor and start driving around, mowing a lawn? Well, not if you're smart. Uh, But I did. Mowed the lawn. Followed the pattern. Of course, it wasn't perfect when I was done, right? Of course, I did. might have broken a couple of things. I don't know. But I mowed the lawn, and it wasn't long after that 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 I could actually begin to use the tractor. You see, the clutch on the tractor required both of my feet to hold it down, so I'd have to slide over in the seat and step on the clutch with my whole body weight with the steering wheel right here. 
And once I learned that I could shift and go faster, then I would shift the gears and then I would try to step off the clutch slowly, but I would never fail. I'd always pull the tires off the ground in the front of the tractor, pop the clutch and, and take off. So I learned over time that I needed to lower the shredder in the back so it wouldn't be able to lift as much because the first time it lifted, I thought I was dead. I thought, here we go, I'm going over, right? But I remember being empowered by my father to do some things that I think back on and go, no way I'm letting Tice do that. And, and maybe that's a problem for me. I'm going to jump over into the uh, book of 2 Timothy. Now, I'm going to read some stuff to you guys. And, and, and you can take two options on this. One, you can close your eyes and listen. Or two, you can read along in the text. If you close your eyes and listen, what I want you to do is imagine this world. If you're reading along in the text... Try to see beyond the text. Try to imagine the situation. But, 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 but I, I want to read this. This is out of uh, uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's preparing him. Listen. Timothy, you must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhumane, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding on to the outward form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid them. What's that world sound like? Does Paul sound like a prophet talking about us today? Maybe you read that and you go, wow, that world sounds an awful lot like the world we run into. I read that and that world sounded an awful like what like my dad described when I was mowing with the tractor. Avoid this. Stay away from that. You're going down the road, don't do this. If you hit that, avoid these things. In chapter 4, he continues and he echoes this. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work, carry out your ministry fully. Paul warns Timothy of what will come when Paul is not around. Much in the same way that Jesus warned his disciples knowing that he wouldn't be around. Knowing that he would be gone, he hands them the courage through the Holy Spirit. He hands them the text. He gives them the mission. He says, I'm about to empower you to do something. Be aware there are obstacles. Be aware there are dangers out there. Be aware there's a lot of bad stuff that potentially could happen to you. And then he releases him. Let's go back to chapter 2 for just a second. 
chapter 2 of Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul begins to kind of explain what it is that Timothy is supposed to be doing. The charge that he's supposed to have. In much the same way that in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 20 that we talked about last week, where Paul kind of outlines to the Ephesians what needs to happen, Paul charges Timothy. Let's listen to the words of Paul. You then, my child... His relationship with Timothy is one of deep love. He calls him his child. He, he, he is a beloved person that as Timothy looks, or as, as Paul looks at Timothy, Paul sees him as his child. But listen to what he says to his child. Ask yourself this question. Would you say this to your child? Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well share in the suffering like a good soldier of Christ you've heard me talk Timothy you've heard what I've had to say I love you like a child I need you to go and take what I've taught you and teach it to others but you're going to suffer and that's okay, share in it. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. Now, I've never been in the military, so I don't have a lot to say. My grandfather was in the military. He was on Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. My stepdad was in the military, and I've kind of consult, consulted with him about this, and, and it's right. You don't get tangled up in everything when you're fighting a war. You obey the officer because if everybody's obeying the officer, everybody's doing what they're supposed to do in their spot, in their lane, then we have an opportunity to win the war. It's when people go rogue that you have a problem. It's when people decide, I want to do something different, that the body begins to fall apart, that the army begins to be weakened, that you get a, a hole in the line where the enemy can get in behind. Get tangled up in all of this garbage. And then he follows it up this way to give him another metaphor. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. You can't win. Unless you stay in the lane. You cannot win the trophy. You cannot endure the race. You cannot get where you're going unless you race your race. You can't go out and say, you know what? I know we're supposed to throw this shot put. Um, I'm going to get a slingshot and we're going to twirl it around and throw the shot put. You're not going to win. You know, I know I'm supposed to run around the track one time and whoever's the fastest. Tell you what, I'm going to cut across the field and not go the whole thing. No, you can't do that. You have to compete according to the rules. Verse 6, if the far, it is the farmer who does the work, you ought to have the first share of the crops. That one seems a little different, doesn't it? But what's he implying there? He's implying that there's a difference between the worker and those who don't. He's implying there's a difference between the athlete and those who aren't. That there's a difference between the soldier and those who aren't. He says the farmer, because he did the work, ought to get the first share. Where have we heard that before? Anybody? 
in the Old Testament with tithing. Who is the worker? God. Who is the worker? The Holy Spirit. Who is the worker? Jesus. Who should get the first share? Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in all things. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. The word of God isn't chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is Jesus Christ with eternal glory. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny, he will deny. If we are faithless, he'll remain faithful. Because he can't deny himself. Remind them of this, he says in verse 14. And warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words. All right, Christians, let's talk about this one for a second. Let's, let's, let's have an honest, heartfelt dialogue amongst adults, because we should only have adults in here at this point. Avoid wrangling over words. Now, I'm going to be the pot, and y'all going to be the kettle, and I'm going to call you black, Okay. Avoiding wrangling over words is a very difficult thing for us to do, right? Right? We have a whole ministry called apologetics that's all about wrangling over words. Right? We get caught up in the lingo of politics where we have to make decisions and wrangle over words. What's a life? What's not a life? What's a choice? What's not a choice? Who should? Who shouldn't? Who... What rights are you infringing on? We get wrangling over all sorts of things all the time. We get wrangling over people who love money, who boast, who are arrogant, who are abusive, who are disobedient, who are ungrateful. We get implacable, slanderous. We get wrangling over all sorts of things. And before we know it, we forget the words that Paul handed to Timothy, that Timothy handed to the church at Ephesus and others, and then it got passed on down to, welcome to Singing Oaks. And we get caught up wrangling over things, and we've lost sight of our commanding officer. Amen? We get caught up in all sorts of craziness, all sorts of disobedience, all sorts of, what is Paul saying here? Myths turning away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. And then he follows it up with this word in the Greek. It means the same thing. A worker. As one approved by God. A worker. Who has no need to be ashamed. What kind of worker is ashamed? If I sit in the office all day, and this has happened to me, if I sit in the office all day and I don't really feel like I do anything, do I feel ashamed? 
course I do. Y'all paid me and I didn't feel like I did anything. I feel ashamed of that. I feel like I should do something every second, every minute, every hour of every day. That's a song probably, isn't it? No. I feel like I should do something all of the time. I feel like I should be a worker. Now, that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not always about spinning our wheel. A worker has no need to be ashamed. Rightly explaining the word of truth. That is the kind of work we should be about. That is the kind of work that we should be doing. And I'm going to tell you guys, our culture, our world is really, really good about getting us wrangling over words. About wordsmithing stuff to death. And getting us down a rabbit trail where we find ourselves confused, going, I don't understand, God. What am I supposed to be doing with this? What am I not supposed to be doing with this? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it doesn't make any sense because it's designed not to make any sense so that you can't be right. That's what culture's doing. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Verse 16, avoid profane chatter, for it will lead people into more and more impiety, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Verse 20, in a large house there are utensils, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special use, some for ordinary. Now, anybody here live somewhere? Apartment, house, car, something. You live somewhere. You have utensils. You have utensils that cost more than other utensils. You have utensils that, that may have more value to you than other utensils. But whatever utensils you have, unless you just have more than you need, you have a use for those utensils. And Paul's saying whatever value you've placed on those utensils in that house, whether you've decided to get them made of gold or silver or wood or clay, that you've got some of them that you only use some of the time or some of them you use all the time, they're just ordinary. He says this, all who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned will become special utensils, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, ready for every good work. Shun youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with stupid and senseless controversies. You know that they just breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. An apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with, pay attention to that word, underline this one in your Bible, correcting opponents with gentleness God may perhaps grant they will repent and come to know the truth and that they may escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will Paul is talking about the house of God Paul is telling Timothy as he looks out into his congregation as this young man who's been equipped by Paul because Paul's been equipped by Christ who's being empowered by Paul because Christ uh, empowered Paul to look into his flock and to see people as God's utensils for God to do work in God's house. Amen? And he's mixing metaphors, but he's getting at the same idea. The idea is that that's what we are. 
That, and when we allow God to use us, we are not ashamed of the work that we've been called to do. We are proud. And God will make us special. I'm going to point out something to you. When my dad threw me on that tractor, the step one that he did was he set a pattern. He laid out a pattern for me, and as a child, I needed a pattern. I don't know how to mow in a way that gets it all done efficiently. So my dad laid out a pattern. Did he lay out the best pattern? Who knows? As I matured in my faith, I no longer needed that pattern because I understood the task. Because just imagine for a second that he trained me to mow and I mowed based on his pattern, but then we moved to a new house and now I don't have his pattern. What do I do? In my maturity, I learned. I was given a pattern, a way to do it, but that's not the only way to do it. That I have to adjust with each new field that I'm placed in. That I have to adjust with each new situation I'm given. I have to look out for obstacles. That told me about the obstacles. When I go to a new place, I won't find those same obstacles, but I will find obstacles. And I know what to look for. Because my Father in heaven has given me the obstacles. He says, some people will. Be boasters, be arrogant, be abusive. These are the obstacles that we will find in life no matter where we go. And we identify those in the field that we're called to work in. And then he equips us. He gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to do the thing he needs us to do. To be the utensil he's called us to be. The special utensil he's called us to be. And then he empowers us to be that you see he doesn't just teach it to us and say one day you can be but you're not ready yet one day I will let you and I will let you know and you'll be educated in it but you're not ready I think we do that a lot with our our young adults right I see that a lot with youth today I think that's why we have a lot of 20 somethings living at home with all the equipping all the encouragement all the knowledge all the obstacles that have been identified but you can't empower them Because empowering them might actually mean that you say to them, you're free to suffer. You're free to suffer. Paul suffers for Timothy's sake. Timothy is getting the clue that he is going to be suffering for someone else's sake. That, that, that that line that's being passed down isn't necessarily the task that we're doing, but it's the love that we show through our own suffering. That as we suffer for the sake of others, they know they are loved unconditionally. Marriage counseling, I tell couples all the time, how do you know that person loves you unconditionally? Well, what do you mean? I go, well, if it's always good, how do you know you're loved unconditionally? Or how do you know you're not just liked because you provide something to them that they like? I said, you won't know it's unconditional until you hurt them. I'm not saying go hurt them. But you won't know if they love you unconditionally until you hurt them. We don't know God loves us unconditionally until we hurt him. And he shows us that he loves us. He equips us. He empowers us to suffer 
You know, one task today, church. One task this week. It's a simple one. You see, if God's done all of this work for us, if God's handled creating uh, the pattern, he's explained to us the obstacles, he's equipped us, he's empowered us, we have one job now to do, and it's to what? As a boy sitting on that tractor, I always had the option to jump off the tractor. I could have said no. I could have throttled down. I could have let the tractor sit there and idle. Everything that I need, the pattern, everything laid out for me, the equipment that I need, the confidence that I need, the, the, the father watching over me to make sure that I'm not, and I didn't know that, but watching over me to make sure that I didn't like run it off into the creek and kill myself. I did do that at one point, but not that day. We have to act. You have to act. You have to work. You have to do something so that you're not a worker who's ashamed of what you've been given. Just a moment. I'm going to sing. Our elders are going to come up and pray for us. Then we're going to go off to focus fellowship. And most of y'all don't know what that means. But fellowship, in the Greek sense of the word, has to do with intimately knowing another person. Not sitting down and having a potluck. That could be a tool that gets you into fellowship, but it's not fellowship. This time of focused fellowship is a time where you get to be empowered to use your ministry gift to pray with, to encourage, to love, and to speak truth into others around you. It's where the church gets a chance to actually be the church in a pretty safe environment before you launch out into the dark, dark world and suffer hard when you try to do the same thing for others. I encourage you today to act on that. If you're already feeling uncomfortable, well, great. When my dad put me on that tractor, my heart was racing and I was super uncomfortable. I can mow a lawn now. I watched a father yesterday with his child at the pool, tiptoe her feet in, tiptoe her feet in. It took him an hour to get her in the pool. It was amazing to watch. I sat there and I thought, this guy's never going to get his daughter in the pool because every time she takes a step, she's, Daddy, I'm scared. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, and pulls her back. I'm like, dude, her fear is going to prevent her from doing everything in life if you always succumb to it. Or you're going to have to teach her to push through it. I mean, he's holding her walking her into the water. And it's not a little kid, guys. This is an infant. My kids who are the same age are jumping in head first, which is a whole different problem. <laughs> but you gotta act. So I encourage you this morning, act. Take that step as we stand and as we sing.